0: Digital Noise, episode two fifty five, part two. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'm just. This is just going to be episode two fifty six. Fuck it. <laughs> Gets too complicated. You start splitting up stuff into part one and part two. If it comes out on a different day, it's not part two. It's a another episode. episode. <laughs> is all I'm saying. This is me and Aaron again. It actually is. I know if y'all are like, "Come on, you guys know you just recorded this." We didn't actually. We we last night we were like man it's bedtime yeah. so you know we went we we spooned and then uh fell asleep in each other's loving arms yeah. and that wait no that wasn't you that was that was my wife sorry i get Let's confused say, I, I, you guys I do
1: dishes i mean <laughs> that's cool you sounds better
0: uh, you know, dishes are good. I do those before the recording. So that way, I'm, you know, I don't want to hurry through the recordings because of how much I'm looking forward to them.
1: Because you don't have kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do not. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm still <laughs> waiting for that one that I was never told about you that is ma- now mad at their mom, who's like, I became a successful surgeon. Dad, I'm so sorry. Here's a lot of money. <laughs> I'll-
1: I'll wouldn't take it that. go the other way? Like, wouldn't you be paying the kid money because you know you missed out on their whole life? It's not like no, it's not like because didn't. I I've missed I missed you. Know. You never knew about me. Here's a lot of money.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't know. It's not my fault. They'd be mad at their mom because their mom never told them that I was like. They were like, oh, your dad is dead. Be like okay. you find out, my dad's okay. not dead. He's some Fair loser enough. in Austin. And be like, wow like that sucks you got to we didn't miss our whole lives and so it turned out I did pretty well and I'm a successful surgeon and I'm well you know what this fantasy is going nowhere let's just go <laughs> into what we do which is talk about other people's fantasies which yeah. are movies and television shows and <laughs> we're going to start off <laughs> We're gonna start off with a Romanian film called The Whistlers. It actually got, for a Romanian film, an awful lot of distribution. Partially, got a lot of attention from the festivals that played at including, I believe, you said you saw it at Fantastic Fest, right?
1: I did. I saw it at Fantastic Fest. It was, um, I, it wasn't the one I got into when I couldn't get into Knives Out, but it was like I couldn't get into what I wanted, and The Whistlers just came up randomly, and it was quite happy
0: in the end. Well, director. I have no idea if this is correct, but I'm going to assume not. Corneliu Porumbolu... Let's assume I said that completely wrong. And don't think I didn't want to say Cornholio in the first part, (laughs) because I did. He helmed this crime noir about a veteran police detective, Christy, played by Vlad Ivanov, who is pretty much done with his job. And he agrees to work with some criminals at the behest of the incredibly sexy Gilda, played by Katrina Marlin, who works for some mobsters who want to recruit said detective into helping them get one of their associates out of prison. To do this, though, is... a Weird, weird plan. He's got to travel to the Canary Islands and there learn a whistling language that only the natives of there like previously speak, which is literally learning how to whistle, which he didn't know, which is unfortunate ahead of time. I still can't whistle. So I was sitting there watching this, trying to figure it out because they're showing yeah. him and I'm like, bullshit, that doesn't work. Yeah, no, I uh, spent a week after this movie trying to do it. It never yeah, worked could once. not. <laughs> could not work. But the idea being is that they simulate words through whistling that phonetically kind of sounds like the words. I don't know how well this would work, but supposedly it's a real thing. Anyway, there's also $30 million involved as well as his end payout or part of that. But he decides he's actually kind of into Gilda and she's, she fucked up. She tried to betray them and got caught. And now they're like, we're still trying to decide what to do with you, but we own your ass now. And he's like, you know what? I'll take my cut and her freedom. That's what I want. And she's not sure she wants that. <laughs> and of course, it all comes down to a huge Sam Peckinpah-ish ending. But I found this movie was a little bit long for my flavor.
1: See, I, I think the structure ended up being what hurt the movie most for me. It has a relatively non-linear kind of storytelling where it will jump backwards and forwards randomly. Like, and they do that to delay a few twists which if the story was told just in a normal fashion we would know from the get-go and while the twists work yeah, every time it would like jump back and reveal some new information i kind of rolled my eyes and was like it i i guess this would have been nice to know earlier um it was okay you know like uh, it feels like this is something where the scriptwriter found out about this whistling language and was like, you know what, that's kind of cool. I'm gonna write a movie about that, and just spent like a couple of weekends.
0: And now, you were like, there, there had to have been a more interesting movie you could write than this. And people are loving this, but I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I think it's well shot. Uh, I think the acting's is. okay. Uh, I'm going to make no mistake. That lead actress is indeed like a fine. She's sexy as, as all hell. I mean, wearing a red dress the whole time will pretty much make like anybody look sexy well, as all and, hell to some extent. But she, she decidedly is.
1: What? I was going to say everyone betrays everyone. Like there's no character, <laughs> no matter how good they are, who isn't kind of an asshole in this movie. Although one I will character- say the violence is, is super. Extremely graphic when it comes, and I do enjoy the fact that they do that.
0: Yeah, it it is very much so. Uh, The, I would say the, um, the police chief, the female police chief, Magda, I believe is her name, is, uh, she's probably my favorite character in this whole thing. And she's a supporting character because she's like the one who's like, like her You know, the detective who's involved with all this, Christy, is coming to her like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm not, you know, this is it. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. She, like, clearly does not believe him from the get-go. And I'm, like, rooting for her the whole time, going like, man, I wish this movie would kind of shift to her perspective, because she seems like a badass.
1: Yeah, she's the closest thing this movie has to an actual, legitimate, good person.
0: Yeah. Uh, There are just shy of eight minutes of unused scenes here, deleted scenes, if you will that are they're somewhat worth watching, but nothing that's like a huge standout. Let's move on to something that I think we both are going to agree is indeed as a movie, a huge standout. And this is the arguably the one of the most successful defining screwball comedies of all time. And I mean, defining like literally this kind of set the rules yes. for what came after. And that is Preston Sturgis's The Lady Eve. With Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda for once, like it's weird. I always review Henry Fonda movies where he's only played this type of role once, like like the uh, the, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and uh, uh, or I'm sorry, Once Upon a Time in the West, where he plays a villain. You're like, nope, never plays a villain. Here is like the one time he plays like the romantic clueless romantic lead. And like, yep, that was that was not something Henry Fonda did. That wasn't in his wheelhouse. But uh, he plays a character who is a uh, Charles Pike. He's a wealthy and single heir to a beer company. And he's a kind of a world explorer. He's a science type. His nose is always in a book. And he's coming home from South America on this big cruise ship. And these professional swindlers, the Colonel, uh, played by Charles Coburn, and his daughter, Jean, played by the incredible Barbara Stanwyck, and then their close friend, Gerald, Mer- Melville Cooper, say, this guy is a fucking Mark. And we got the sexy daughter, and she'll come in there, and she'll insist, because every other girl's trying to hit on this guy. And he's like, don't even know what's happening. She's like, that's because they're all beholden to the rules of society. I am not. I'm going to get in there and make this shit happen. But, oh, no, she actually falls in love with him and uh, basically tells her, Dad, no, you can't swindle this guy. I actually do love him. I'm insisting you don't swindle him. I'm going to go straight. The unfortunate thing is Charles finds out, oh, you're not who you say you were. You're actually a professional con woman. Goodbye. So... Being someone who's not used to taking no for an answer, and this is admittedly about the halfway point of the movie, she hatches an entirely other scheme that involves a dual personality, and that's as far as I want to say, if you have not watched this film, this is an all-time comedy classic.
1: I I actually had some issues with it. Um, Uh Uh-oh. The first half of the movie, I think, does really well, when they're doing their initial con on him, and it, it goes into some of the ins and outs of how hey, card sharks work, the different cons they do. There's a shit ton of new lingo for what con men were back in the day. Like it still blows my mind that card sharp with a P is the thing instead of not yeah. card shark. Like I, I always forget
0: that. Yeah. But like, and, so and it like, makes sense. They're very sharp, you so, know? Uh, so like, th- no, that I mean, I'm not punning. I- That's I
1: think where it came from. I really got into, but when it shifts into Act 2, or Act 2 of its two-act play, um, and and the second half came about, I kind of found myself losing a lot more interest. Uh, I was ready for them to just kind of get on with it. I felt like it it semi-repeated some of the same beats they already went through again. And and admittedly, part of this may have been because I watched this right after I watched another classic film that we're going to be discussing that uh ended up really just knocking my socks off with its comedy. And so Mm. coming into this was like, well, that's fine. It's enjoyable. I can see why this was influential. It just didn't work with me as much in the modern day.
0: Well, I'm already a big Preston Sturgis fan. Uh, I have I have seen nowhere near as many of his films as I would like to, because a lot of which are kind of hard to get your hands on. He unfortunately was like the first Hollywood tour basically, the guy who was just doing everything. And his life story alone is fucking fascinating. If you want to fall down a wiki hole about film, look up Preston Sturgis on Wikipedia and you will... Find out all sorts of information about the history well, of film and things that are credited to this guy that you just – you're like, how come I've never heard of this guy? It's like, well, you should have. He, he did a lot of very important movies. The problem is is that he had this one hugely prolific, really powerful period for like eight years where he pumped out a whole stack of like films that are considered all-time classics that changed everything and then never did anything super relevant again after that you know just like oh what happened you just blew your load all at once there dude but a lot of this is actually in the special
1: features too like a lot of detail about his life and the filmography because i did not go down the wiki hole and i knew about the eight-year period too because they talk about that and one of the specials i'm pulling it up to see which one
0: well, this is the Criterion, so it's loaded with specials yes. and with the oh. whole booklet. There's a, a filmed introduction by Peter Bogdanovich, because try to keep Peter Bogdanovich away from doing a special <laughs> introduction for a Preston Sturgis film. Good luck. <laughs> There's a 43-minute Tom Sturgis and Friends, which is an online video conference with Preston Sturgis' son, Tom, talking about his life and his legacy uh, with James L. Brooks, Peter Bogdanovich, Ron Shelton, Laura, Leonard Malton, Kenneth Turan, and Susan King that was recorded this year. It's actually brand new. The Lady Deceives, a new video essay by critic and filmmaker David Carnes. Costume Designs by Edith Head. This is another one of these things. Like, if you watch enough classic films, eventually you're going to go i I know who a costume designer is, <laughs> because that costume designer is probably the only one I can think of that really became a Hollywood legend per se specifically for Hollywood films, and that's Edith Head, like almost all the great films from like the thirties through like the sixties are like costumes by Edith Head. There you go. Uh but yeah as a look into there I think uh, it's it's like pictures that are being um narrated and I want to say it's by her daughter I can't remember. There's Lux Radio's feature which is a radio adaptation featuring Barbara Stamick, Ray Mil- Miland, Charles Coburn and is hosted by C- Cecil B DeMille that was originally Holy broadcast crap. in 1942. There's up. We actually listened to a bit of that. It was fun. I uh, was well, Up the Amazon, which is a performance of a musical version of The Lady Eve. We actually listened to that, too. And it's only like five minutes of it, where we, it's sort of like a medley of the songs. But it's kind of cool that's a thing that exists. There's an original vintage trailer. There's an archival audio commentary. And like I said, the leaflet. Uh, this is a... Real solid release, especially if you're a fan of screwball comedies. I think this is one of the defining ones of its era. And I think you really learn to appreciate this one a lot more by watching the bonus features. Well, that,
1: that's essential. The, the Even when Criterion puts out a classic film that I don't really appreciate in this case, I like in this case, what they do is they put enough history and context on there to where it's totally worth it to dig through it, even if it's not your cup of tea. You learn so much about the ins and outs of the industry back then.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Surely you must be joking. <laughs> and then you say, I, Really? Surely you must be joking. <laughs>
1: Don't call me Shirley, damn it.
0: Thank you. Damn, man. Talking about setting hey. you up and you're just not hey. knocking them down.
1: We, we have already established I am an extremely tired parent in the COVID pandemic. I am not good at improv.
0: <laughs> Your brain is not at full functioning no. ability. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. We're here to talk about yet another Blu-ray release of Airplane. Okay, why, right? The last one was not that long ago. It was no. pretty... Just stacked with bonus features. I mean, lots of good stuff on there, including like a trivia track, which, by the way, is one of my all-time favorite things to put on a movie. It's like a commentary without having to turn to alternate audio. I'm like, yes, there yeah, should be subtitled options for every commentary. Yeah. I don't know Agreed. why that's not a thing. Um, deleted scenes, all sorts of good stuff on the original, including a lenticular slip cover, cover, which I totally have a weakness for. This new one gets rid of pretty much all of that, which I was like, wait, what? But it substitutes in some new stuff. The isolated score track, a focus sit down with this wonderful, with Jim Abrams, Jerry Zucker, and David Zucker, the, the creators of the, of Airplane, and then a new Q&A uh, that for, like, 35 minutes with them at the Egyptian Hollywood uh, Theater, which is really funny and really cool. I mean, those guys are, like, ancient now, but it's they kind of, not even kind of, they created a whole new form of cinematic comedy with the Airplane movies. One could argue with, you know... Um, when you were film before about this. the last
1: one and setting up the fact that it created this like, whole new genre and set the form, I thought mm-hmm. you were teeing up Airplane.
0: Teeing up what?
1: Yeah, I thought you were teeing up Airplane with the last movie because you were going in about how it created the new genre oh. and it was establishing <laughs> so many of like the structures that we followed after that. I was like, clearly, he's talking about Airplane and the parody nope. film because that's what nope. Airplane is. You know,
0: it's,
1: it's the grandpappy.
0: They're, they're both two essential comedy films that changed the industry based on the intensely positive react public reaction to them and critical reaction to them. This is a movie. Everybody told them, don't make this. This is going to be, nobody's going to want to see this movie. They were told repeatedly. The studio was like, we don't get what you're doing. Like at all the uh, trying to get actors for it. They'd read the script and go, yeah, this is dumb. This is for like little tiny kids. Nobody got what they were aiming for. But eventually, once they started actually getting some people in there and filming stuff, people started to get it. In fact, the studio, and this is one of the things you learn from watching the extras on this film. The studio started requesting that all the dailies be sent to them every day because they were going in there, cracking open a bottle of scotch and watching all the dailies (laughs) and just cracking up laughing. Because it's that its that funny. It was classic. Nobody had done anything like this before. I mean, obviously, people have done stuff like this since, including them with Airplane 2. But this is still in many ways, the best version of this style of comedy. I think that we've ever seen. I, I can't recommend this version of it over the previous one because the extras on that previous one are ones I consider kind of a essential for the archivist who wants to have the best quality copies of stuff. And I think that probably the stuff that's on this one is probably on YouTube because they're from like festivals, you know? Um, but, the one thing this does have that a lot of people are going to go, well, that's what I'm here for is that it's the first time with a new 4k remaster. And it's not perfect, but it's a little bit better than the previous one. It's just not, it's not like smack you in the face better.
1: Well, and the thing is with a film of this era, it's always if you end, if you're going to get a lot of improvement or not, it takes a lot of work uh, sometimes to bring up these older films. Um, I was I had not seen this movie since it was junior high. I had forgotten how much, uh, and I put this in quotes, inappropriate humor there is, but I also <laughs> forgot how, like, it's it's so out of left field that even though it is incredibly racist or sexist, it it kind of, like, is okay. Like, the, the bit with the grandma and the, the jive talking grandma just had me on the floor cracking up laughing.
0: And, Dude, it's, and uh, it was like... At the Egyptian theater Q&A, that guy is just in the audience and he stands up and goes, hey, hey, I got something to say. And you're like, oh, my God, it's the jive guy.
1: (laughs) And I will say, though, that the movie does continue the tradition and does kill a kid as well uh randomly throughout the movie so i felt like that was an appropriate thing too but uh like this is a classic if you like parody movies at all you you need to have seen an airplane if you don't have a previous version why not get this one if the other one isn't available but please yeah. go see this movie it's worthwhile it's a comedy legend there's a reason why it comes out over and over and over and over again
0: so the guy the jive talking guy is like yeah we made all that up. none of that is like real Like it's like nobody talks like that. We we were like the directors were like, we don't want to do this wrong. We're not really sure what the words should be. It's like it doesn't matter. We'll we'll just make up anything. And so they're like, it's nonsense that they're speaking. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, right after seeing this, my wife wasn't watching this with me, but she told me the next day, yeah, I was reading this thing about um that Lionel Rich saw, Richie song, you know, The party forever, come on, sing that song all night long. And you know that part in that song where it goes into, like, this weird sort of, like, African tribal chant thing? Yeah. Well, none of that is real. He was like, uh, I need you to find the words of this African tribal chant assistant. They're like, there's like 600 languages in Africa. Which one would you like? He's like, never mind. I'll just make it up myself. <laughs> and it's just gibberish. <laughs> oh, white people in the 70s. Well, that's not even a white person. That was a black person. Oh, doing that's that. right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame that on white people I'm You're just right, saying, we'll right. take our share of blame fair, but that fair. was not on us
1: let's think of airplane <laughs> <point. laughs>
0: i don't think this is like this is never uncomfortably racist it plays Whoa. with racial humor but not in an insulting way yeah, like it i don't punches down no i would never say to someone who is like I would never have problem recommending this film to someone today who is considers themselves woke. If it will yeah. look, there's some stuff that you're going to go. Well, it was you know it's the fucking 70s, but nothing in it is ugly in the way that it, it jokes around. No, I mean, except no. for maybe towards uh, Hare Krishna's.
1: Well, it, nothing's <laughs> ugly. They touch on some subjects. Like there was a, a running through line where one of the pilots is is pretty clearly a pedophile Uh, but I actually ended up cracking up laughing at that by the end of it
0: (laughs) it's because everything in this film is so incredibly over the top absurd there's just no way you could take it seriously you know you're like oh there's some things you can't joke about context is everything
1: Well, and it it does a good job too of even though there's some jokes in here that are very clearly dated and like me being in my mid 30s kind of get some of the references, um, but you don't need that though. The, the joke is still there, it's still gonna work. It's not like some of the more recent ones where if you don't get the reference, there is no joke.
0: Okay, so my favorite new thing I learned about this movie from this is that you know, the sequence where they're uh, the people doing the announcements at the airport are like getting a divorce over the announcements and like fighting with each other. <laughs> So they were looking for the right people and they couldn't cast the right people. They were like, we can't find the perfect voices for this. And then eventually they were like, well, why don't you just use the people who actually do the announcements for that airport? They're like, we can do that. And so those aren't even actors. They're just the people who that was, that's their job doing announcements at that airport. So I imagine at the time this came out, this was probably pretty surreal. (laughs) (laughs) I Uh, love that.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. I uh, love this movie.
0: <laughs> the upshot is this is all time classic. You should own this. this should, I mean, I watched this movie when it came out. And what was that, like 1978 or 9? I was a kid. I, wasn't, I was very young. And I saw it like seven, eight times in the theater, I think. I mean, like, it's just a movie you just kept going back to see again. And you were like, this time I'm bringing another friend, you know? Yeah. And like, we oh, just saw see. this so many goddamn times. It was ridiculous. And my parents were like, it's fine.
1: <laughs> well, yeah my poor son he's about two to three years from this on rushing wave of parody films you know it's yeah. just like the naked guns the national lampoon it's just just here i'm all that I'm i waiting just for the moment he turns old enough that he gets a dick and fart joke and it's like here we go <laughs> let's go well, the
0: national lampoon <laughs> films are the ones that are those are a step older i'd say the, the, the issue, like, that's national
1: lampoons i, I was thinking yeah. of loaded weapon uh when i thought that
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, but Top Secret. Don't forget about Top Secret. As far as I'm concerned, the second best of these films is Top Secret. Can't believe it doesn't get all the credit it deserves. Anyway. Cool. I'm glad. Uh, A lot of people still haven't seen it, which is because it's not... It's not talked about in anywhere near as wide terms, but I think it's right up here with Airplane for being like just as good. But, you know, I mean, it's weird. I'd say, well, it depends on whether or not you've watched the films that it's satirizing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a, it's nobody watched the, nobody today has watched the films that Airplane is satirizing.
1: <laughs> hey, there's a, like a towering Inferno fan out there who's, you know, 60.
0: No, it's not even that, though. It's like it's it's doing airport. It's doing, I forget the name of the other one. There's another film, Zero Hour, which I haven't even seen. It's like literally all the characters have the same names as that movie.
1: I bow down (laughs) to your ability to reference like bad late 60s, early 70s airplane disaster films. (laughs) (laughs) That's a niche cut.
0: There are a few of them out there. Well, let's move on to our next one. Hey, we're going way earlier now than the 1960s we're going to 1941 for man this was breaking a cherry for me man of all the classic comedians that i had just never gotten around to seeing anything by wc fields was the one i just I, i'd never seen a single wc fields film i've certainly seen lots of clips of him doing his own yeah, kid, you're yeah. i've seen the like
1: parodies ev- or the references like i know his shtick even without ever having seen anything this was yeah. my first one for him, too.
0: Exactly. I know it's kind of doing Edward G. Robinson, but you know what I'm get, getting better at. It. It's it's like, he's like Edward G. Robinson if it was like a little less angular and more rounded. More horny. Yeah. W.C. Fields was a comedy legend for Universal Pictures. I mean, he pumped out movie after movie after movie back in the day. Never Give a Sucker an Even Break is remarkable because, A, it wasn't a huge hit when it came out, but years afterwards, it was considered arguably his best film. And one of the reasons for that is it's one of the only films he was allowed to actually uh, be involved with the writing for it and the story. He that was just not something they did. The people would make the stories for the comedians or their big stars. And then they would star in said vehicles. He handpicked most of the cast for all extents and purposes. He all but directed this thing to all reports. Yeah, it was his baby. Uh, audiences didn't respond. And it ended up being his last film and not really because of a poor reception. It didn't bomb, but because he was in really ill health. I mean, the man smoked cigars constantly. He drank whiskey constantly. He was very overweight. He was the comedy character that he played on stage and in screen. But I was really excited when they were putting this out on Blu-ray. Cause I'd always heard this is like one of the maybe two or three WC field fields films that you really should see. I think the bank Dick is one of the other ones. And this is a weird film. It's a film yeah, it within is. a film. Like he's playing himself. At first, and there's even, like, I, I'm curious, because I couldn't find anything to say, like, what who first broke the fourth wall in film. But this has got to be an early example of him, like, talking directly to the audience here. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. But uh, he is playing himself. He's trying to uh, pitch a script to a producer. And then it switches to what the movie is, which is him and uh, his, his niece, who is flying on an airplane um and he talks about never being married and he ends up jumping out of the plane because his alcohol falls out the window and he goes <laughs> to chase it. Yeah, but he lands out in a his nest
1: open air observation deck of the airplane.
0: Right. <laughs> he, he lands on a nest on a cliff uh, that has a beautiful, young, I've never met a man before girl there. And her mother, played by the legendary Mar- Margaret du- Dumont, who's been in like half the Marx Brothers films. She's, if you watch this period of comedy, you know who she is. Uh, plain lands, Gloria Jean hooks up with a bunch of peasants. I mean, not hooks up, but like charms them. Uh, and he finds out that after they reunite, that that older woman living there is extremely rich. And Fields is like, I think I'm going to propose to marriage to her in that case. Anyway, it's a really bizarre series of sketches, basically. And then it switches back eventually to him going, this is the dumbest script I've ever seen. And then it wraps up with one of the craziest stunt-oriented chase scenes you've seen in one of these movies.
1: It's legit awesome. Like, I was oh, yeah. watching this, I, I pulled my wife over, because I. this is one of those, like, going back and watching the Buster Keaton film where you go, I, I don't know how you did that and didn't die.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do think that this is a film that's funny enough and absurd enough that it's, it's not going to, I mean, obviously it feels dated just by the look of it, but I don't think there's a lot that's going to, in the humor, that's going to go over people's heads because of it being in a different time or not apply. I think this is still quite funny stuff
1: like i think that when you get inside the film within the film you're right it's this absurd satirical weird thing where anything can happen and like gorilla servants show up and then just it's it's insane it makes no sense and it's awesome and hilarious and then there's everything that happens in the real world where (laughs) wc fields is just kind of like a shitty uh, sex criminal and it's yeah. just it's I didn't laugh once when it wasn't inside his film now I okay. loved the parts inside his film though but I well, discovered I mean, the, the very car quickly chase... that W.C. Fields was okay you're right the car chase was debatably in the real world but <laughs> I, same thing
0: that's fair well this is only 71 minutes long so if you're that's taking true. a risk with something that's considered to be a classic hey you know not a huge investment to do it. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of technology that can make this, but as good as it really can be, it's 1080p. And the clarity is as good as it's probably going to get. Uh, there's no real film damage here, specks and scratches, but that's about it. Um, there's it's a mono 2.0 soundtrack. As you, I mean, they can't add audio yeah, quality to what exactly. was never there. There's an audio commentary by historian Eddie von Mueller, w- which he takes a look at the making of this film and the careers of everyone involved. And then there's a 1964 episode from a CBC series that used to be a network <laughs> where Canadian comics, Johnny Wayne and Frank Schuster basically take a look at a bunch of old comedy clips from WC field. So it's, they don't do this anymore. And they haven't for a while, but I grew up where they would do these sort of shows that were like, you know, we got to put some programming here on a Saturday night. So <laughs> let's have like a modern comedian who's not super popular, but not totally washed up, come in and do like a tribute to these stars who are either no longer with us or about to be no longer with us. <laughs> yeah. And like and a cheap way to, to basically make money off a bunch of clips that that studio already owns.
1: I vaguely remember. I, like, I think I caught like two of those when I was, Barely old enough to remember anything, like four and five when I was a kid. (laughs)
0: Back in the old days. Back
1: in the old days.
0: Which is still would make most of the people we work with not alive.
1: Yeah, that's very true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know why we've got so much classic comedy this this, uh, show, but we do. Here's another one, although... This one certainly doesn't hold up all that well due to uncomfortableness. And that's the 1948 film, The Pale Face. Now, this is an Academy Award Best Song, for whatever that's worth, winning film. It even had a sequel, Son of the Pale Face, in 1952. And then 1968, Don Knotts remade it as the shakiest gun in the West. That I had seen. Don't really remember, but it's probably on the Disney Channel. Anyway, this it's this is basically Bob Hope as a vehicle of which, at this point, Bob Hope was one of the biggest comedians in the world. There's no end of Bob Hope vehicles out there. that they Cheapies they made for him. A lot of which, I wouldn't be surprised, aren't even around anymore because <laughs> they just pumped out so many of these damn things. There's a whole series of Hope and Crosby on the road films that are of mixed quality. Some are great, some are terrible. This one hooked him up with Jane Russell playing Calamity Jane. I, you know... I'm with you on a lot of the classic beauties, but I have never gotten Jane Russell. There's something about her that always looks so utterly just bored. I've never oh, found her particularly attractive. Really, every- you too?
1: Yes. Well, so okay. Let me let me acknowledge the fact that this is both my first Bob Hope movie, to my knowledge, and my first Jane Russell movie. But like, they, they talk a lot about it on the back and online about her stature and going into this movie she was the least interesting part of the movie even though she's kind of the main character like i just never bought her performance
0: she always looks like she's smelling something bad yeah you know like every shot of her she just looks like what is that what does that smell
1: i I have to admit though um like i I acknowledge that out of all the classic films and this includes the fact that wc fields basically date rapes his way through that movie um (laughs) this is the most offensive movie we had in this set like yes. it, it is it is super duper offensive it is about washington fat cat businessmen who break a, a murderous woman out of jail to send her to assassinate a their words not mine race trader who is selling weapons to the native americans for their resistance like like we're following the bad guys in this story That being said, uh, apparently Bob Hope's humor really works for me, because I laughed my ass off through this entire film. Like, out of the three classic films that we watched, this one did it for me the most. I loved it.
0: To be clear, he is not playing the person they're going to meet. He is playing a hapless idiot along the way, who is a, a- an untrained dentist who gets high on his own product, if you will, who gets talked by Jane into marrying him to basically provide a cover for her. And along the way, he becomes convinced that he's like a prodigy gunman, even though it's just basically every time he thinks he's shooting people, it's actually Jane or, from undercover yeah. doing it. Cause obviously Calamity Jane, famous gun person. Um, there's a lot of really unflattering portrayals of native Americans in here oh, to yeah. say the least. I mean, there's some funny bits in here, but it also repeats a lot of the same bits. I don't know. I've seen a a decent amount of Bob Hopes. This was not one that in particular really did for me. But man, check out some of the more popular On the Road with him and Crosby. Some of those are really good. If not also
1: kind of racist. I I suspect (laughs) that um, Bob Hope is just kind of up my alley. And since this is the first one, I'm like, this is great. It's funny. I'm curious to see what watching one of the legitimately good ones will be like.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is considered to be a classic by him. It was a monster hit when it came out. Like, no question. Like I said, it spawned a sequel and a remake. And it it won an Oscar, which is still, like, buttons and bows. I mean, I had heard the song. I had never seen the movie before. So, yeah, I mean, uh, people thought it was really funny. I guess it's still going to be funny. But that's if you can separate yourself from how much awful shit there is going on in the plot. It's so
1: awful. Like, Uh, I almost challenge you to like write down all the different ways this movie is offensive. <laughs>
0: so there's uh this is 1080p again but once again it's like oh, there's only so much you can do it's old technicolor film so it's a better original print quality than the last film we were talking about but even so it's it, it never looks bad it's also 2.0 mono there's an audio commentary by sergio mims who is a film writer and a huge bob hope fan uh there's entertaining the troops bob hope in the uso which is a featurette This is basically old universal archive thing they trot out on anything uh, that they can sell to a release company that are looking yep. for more bonus features i mean bob hope was famous for being the guy who went out on all the military tours went to vietnam everything to like entertain the troops command performance 1945 was an excerpt of a radio show that was filmed for the armed forces uh buttons and bows sing along which is the clip from the film but with karaoke style script i mean come on guys you're really reaching here who's gonna do that <laughs> I this is okay um yeah the I'd say look into the road films, but yeah, I think I already said that. Anyway, let's move on to our next one, and we're going to television, the world of TV, and specifically the world of HBO, with two shows that were both, well, you know, mixed reception on one, really great reception on the other but both are very well-known and much talked about and are now coming out on Blu-ray. First off, we have His Dark Materials. This is based on the novel series of the same name by Philip Pullman. If that name doesn't ring a bell with you, you might know it better by The Golden Compass, which was a cinematic adaptation they tried to do of the first book in the series some years ago that didn't really succeed, despite having a lot of big-name stars and throwing a shit-ton of money at it. because it was not good. (laughs) I remember thinking it's okay, but it definitely is never something that they should have tried to compress into one two-hour film. And I had read the books at that point point went, this is a bad idea, guys. This is not going to work. And even also, by the time you get to the second book, the series starts openly being really heretical. Like, this is basically the Chronicles of Narnia if you want your kids to grow up to be atheists, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm just saying... That's what it
1: is. <laughs> well, you, you got to know it going in, because it, it comes out of left field a little bit. It's part of the twists of the universe. And so it, it, if you tend to uh, favor that belief, it tends to be a little much, I imagine.
0: True. Well, this follows a young girl named Lyra, played by, what was her name, Eleven from Logan?
1: Yeah. Uh, which Was I it Eleven? What was her name? Uh, no, no. It was... Um,
0: I'm thinking I mean, of stranger things.
1: But uh, yeah, X, yeah, she's is is that, yeah, what they Laura. Call them, Logan? But yeah, so I didn't Laura. realize that was her. She has started to grow up really quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean she was really young mm. and Logan for sure, but she was so intense there and here she she got damn eyes. She's like, <laughs> "Ooh, you creepy looking." But she lives with these teachers at basically a Ivy League college in Oxford and she uncovers a secret involving the man who she thinks is her her father and someone who turns out to be her mother, or does she? There's a lot of, like, what is her origin? Why are people lying about her origin? You know, who is on whose side? The real important conceit to understand is that everybody has, like, basically uh, spirit animals, except they're not imaginary. They are literally physical spirit animals that travel around with them, and when they're young, they can flip back and forth to different forms, but when you reach basically start to go through puberty, it picks a form that best suits your personality and has to stay in that form from then on. And you can talk with it. You can communicate with your thing. You can order it, yada, yada. But they have their own personalities, what have you. So there's a group that is doing something that has... Somebody is abducting children, and they don't know who. And it ties into eventually, and I don't want to have any spoiler there, but like it ties into something to do with their relationship with spirit animals and this has a decent cast of people on it. I mean, Ruth Wilson plays a character you think is going to be a good person at first, not so much. Looks like she's pretty much the main villain here. James McAvoy plays the guy who's may or may not be her father, and and that's literally like I can't remember from the books, but I think as far as we know in the this, she, he still is. There's a lot yes. of familiar faces. I'm so happy when Lin Manuel Miranda shows up because oh, he's, he's basically so good the. He's like Disney's Han Solo, right? (laughs) It's like a cross between, like, uh, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins and Han Solo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, he flies around in an air balloon, which if you've ever played a Final Fantasy game, you're going to be in love with that immediately. He has an airship. What more is there?
0: I mean, I will say about this, I think they spent, I know they spent a shit ton of money on this because it looks great, right? I mean... It's all about sets and costumes and just atmosphere, and they nailed that.
1: Well, and what they, they got a little... the, oh, I was going to say they nailed the effects on the uh, the demons, the the yeah. animal compatriots. Like, yeah, it, they call it, them it,
0: demons for some reason.
1: There's never because it gets into that whole heretical stuff. Um, right. There's never really a point where you aren't a hundred percent sold on the CG creations.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, no, they they look tremendous, especially when we start getting into a character in here that's a giant ar- armored polar bear that becomes one of the main characters of the story. Who's fucking great? <laughs> um, I was the whole time. You're going, okay, that's fine, but when is the polar yeah, bear did, coming? <laughs>
1: did you Did you see um, Dursley from Harry Potter show up yes. as? Uh, this skinny little guy trying to keep the, uh, the armored bear in jail. It is really weird to see him as not being this really big, broad dude.
0: True. Uh, there's eight episodes here. And the unfortunate thing is you feel the length of this first season. It definitely stretches longer than it needs to. I mean, I'm saying that as someone who's like, Hey, give this as much, as much time as it needs, it didn't need this much time well, for the amount of story that they covered. they could i I'm like this easily could have been six episodes. There are points I found myself quite bored going like okay, i'm checking out let's move this along you know what, I which think is a problem, shame.
1: I think the problem is is that um, they're setting something up that doesn't really become a major part of the story until the end of the first book and into the future books. And they're starting to lay the groundwork for that. And it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm sure that down the lines when we get into season two or three, this is going to start to pay off because we already have these things established, but you're right. And this first time it's like a third of the story is just this setup thing where you're going, okay, I I don't know who any of these people are. I I don't care.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. Um, There's a pretty decent amount of special features here as well along with all eight episodes, of course, on Blu-ray, including a full making-of thing, interviews with all the main characters, talking about bringing their characters to life, uh, a, a piece interviewing the author about adapting this, a, a look at how they did the demons, or daemons, uh, a look at the costuming, a look at the sets, and uh, pre- pretty much subtitles for any single, and dubbing for any language you've ever heard of. I, I <laughs> Even that one that Lionel Richie made up for all night <laughs> 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 Thank you. Oh, kamba kamba. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> don't let's go into record. our last thing which don't is I think record. considerably better.
1: Uh, uh I yeah, agreed actually. Uh,
0: and, and like I said, I don't think that that's bad, it's just kind of
1: dull. Oh, see, I points. I thoroughly enjoyed his dark materials. Like so I've read the first book, I've seen the first movie, I've now seen this first season. I think this was the most enjoyable way for me to get the story. However, okay. I, I'm kind of intrigued for season two because we never got a second movie and the changes that happened, I was never really able to get into the second book and never finish it. So uh, I'm excited to see them pick this up and go into that weird direction. But well, you were trying to set up the next show. Uh, and no,
0: it's okay. I, I Actually, the, this helps because it's a, it's a good segue for it because – I'm not really sure how his dark materials performed. I got the feeling it didn't perform super strong as HBO had hoped. And with COVID-19 shutting down production and everything, I kind of wonder if we're in fact going to get a season two of his dark materials. We very well may not. We may not get um, new seasons on a lot of TV shows that are out there just because contracts dry up. I mean, I I hate to say it, but there's a lot of shows you love. You may never get to see what happened. It's just the way of things. But this next thing, was one of the top-rated, in terms of numbers, things that HBO has ever put out. Shockingly. I was like, really? This is The Outsider. It's one-and-done miniseries, although they immediately went to Stephen King and said, oh, please write a sequel. (laughs) I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Apparently, they basically came to him on bended knee going, how much money do you want? to write a sequel to this fucking thing. I mean, he literally wrote this in 2018 that, that this is based on. So they went, we're doing it. We're filming this before the book was even released. And it's pretty goddamn good. Okay, and this falls. On, yeah. It, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a, it's a mini series, right? So like I said, you're at least comforted by knowing when I watch all 10 episodes, that's it. I don't have to worry about it. It comes to a solid finish point. And it is set in the Stephen King universe in the sense that if you've read Stephen King's mystery novel stuff that he's played with uh, his Mr. Mercedes specifically, and the, tr- the sequels to that, there's a character from there that he has sort of reinvented or they have reinvented in this. I've not read the outsider, so I can't say whether or not the character clings more closely. I assuming they're, he's using the exact same character version from that book. so not a parallel universe, Stephen King version, but you never know. But Cynthia Erivo plays the character of Holly Gibney here. And she's indeed the- somewhat different than the character I've read in Mr. Mercedes, which I, the one I have read, which she first appears in, who's a very autistic woman who has discovered she has a real skill at being a detective, partially because of her autism. But this is a show that starts off one direction. You think it's going to be one sort of thing. Cause like Jason Bateman, and you're like, oh, shit, this guy is a normal roundtown town family man, fucking brutally murdered a child. Oh, sorry, yeah. child murder. It's the theme. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. It is. Kid death is the episode.
0: <laughs> and there's overwhelming proof that he did it. And Ben Mendelsohn is the detective in charge of deal, dealing with the case. A rare appearance by Mendelsohn as a good guy. He does is, it every once in a while.
1: It's delightful because he's such a yeah. good actor. And he... he always does the good he does the good thing in the movie is like you know what i'll come in and i'll make this bad guy the most likable thing in the world so i'm glad to see him being an actual interesting good guy for once
0: but when they're like i can't believe that this guy would do this even he's like this is weird because like this body was savage like an animal did it with like the guy's teeth marks and her like why this guy did that so all right that's That's kind of crazy but I, I guess you never know who you got until surveillance video proves that he was also out of town on the day of the murder, like he was decidedly not there, even though they have other surveillance video that proves that he was there. so what is going on? What well, sounds like it's going to be if it wasn't stephen king i'd go well this is there's going to be a cool twist like he's a twin brother or something. no. This is a supernatural Stephen King set in the body of a procedural murder mystery. And thank goodness, because it plays like the, one of the best X-Files episodes you ever saw.
1: Oh, it is so good at building tension. Because the movie is so grounded in that procedural real life with real people, and it's not like monster hunters parading around, killing vampires left and right. Yeah. Everything has so much impact. Like, small things, like just someone searching a barn can be one of the most tense things of the entire first half. Or like, just even there, there's a there's a kidnapping attempt that happens partway through the series that was, as a parent, watching that happen, it was so stressful. I was sitting there just tense and <laughs> wringing a towel, and my wife was laughing at me because she had no idea what the hell was going on. Uh, <laughs> like, they do a great job making this movie. This was actually the the... Watching this... And um, Castle Rock, even though that's not directly Stephen King, Stephen King adjacent, immediately after watching, like, Doctor Sleep and reading the books at the same time, it, it got me to reevaluate my view of King, because I had kind of written King off back in the days when he was putting out, like, the cell in Doom and Key, and I did not See, I think he was I think shit am- out that that's good.
0: I think Doom and Key's amazing. I just read that for the first time recently. I thought it like, had one read of the it. best. I think it's one of the best King books I've ever read.
1: I I only mention it because I know it came out in that same era. But like...
0: I just recently, because partially of all this stuff, this rebirth of Stephen King that we're getting, so much shit is being hitting and being taken very seriously. It's not like before when we're getting, like, you know, a bunch of cheapies like Night Flyers and yeah. Maximum Overdrive and the original Pet Cemetery or even the remake of Pet Cemetery. You know, you're like, okay, this is just a cheapy horror. Now they're actually got these people who are like really great directors treating these things with respect, the way Kubrick did The Shining for despite King not necessarily 100% agreeing. But this is very respectful adaptation of this book. Most certainly, I'm very impressed with how it was done here. Uh, Bateman, by the way, directed the first two episodes. Who's, I, that's not, like, anything to worry about. The guy's actually got a really solid car- career behind director. him as a director of television and film. He's made some really good stuff. If you haven't seen Bad Words, fucking great movie. See it. But, yeah, this is... um. This is solid. A lot of the Stephen King stuff that you and I missed that I've been catching up on lately is fucking great. I'm kind of like, wow, around 95, 96, he kind of started to, like, like, I don't know, figure some shit out. And went from, like, falling into a trap of kind of repeating the same themes over and over again to trying new stuff, having more mature characters and themes.
1: I figured out what it is. And King, it's taken King a while to get to a point where he's kind of mastered his characters as well yeah. as the length of the book you know he famously used to write books that were just insanely long and yeah. i feel He's like he still does <laughs> yeah fair i feel like with dr sleep and with this uh the book and the show adaptation of it uh, they they do what king kind of has always done best which they build realistic Uh, charismatic enjoyable characters who you grow to really care for like the the autistic private eye detective is the best character in the show i love every second she is in i i
0: would watch a spinoff just about holly gibney no question
1: thank you like you know what season two make it supernatural make it i don't care just just put her in it make her like the main character but so he does this he builds your affection for these characters uh and Part of that is that the show has a more dour, slower start as uh, it's a little more uncomfortable when you're dealing with the real-world effects of the crime before he starts rolling out the weird. And then by the time you get into the back half and especially the back quarter, uh, this is terrifying because the characters (laughs) that you've grown to love are put into legitimate peril. And because it's Stephen King he does not hesitate to kill someone or maim them or uh, have really horrible things happen to people that they care about. Uh, There is an 11 minute segment of this that I will not describe in too great a detail, but that is one of the most tense and painful and brutal and effective 11 minutes of action I've seen in television. Uh, Like, my wife was cracking up laughing because it's all this stuff going down and I was writhing on the floor and tension covering my eyes and going like, no, don't step out. <laughs> and and then at the end of it, I was like, oh my God, like, is this just like the entire episode? I felt like it had been half an hour and no 11 minutes and 23 seconds.
0: It's insane. <laughs> so here's my imagination of going to Aaron's house to watch a movie from all the times you've described watching movies and TV shows. Aaron, calm down. Calm down, Aaron. Calm down. It's just a movie. Look, here. Now, Do you, do you want, do you want your, your woobie? Here you go. Take your woobie. Love that. Squeeze that. It'll be fine.
1: You're not wrong. I, I'm an empath. I feel for characters and shows. I cry a lot. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, this has a decent amount of bonus features. There's inside episodes one through 10, which are three minutes per episode, bite sized featurettes. There's invitation to the set for about a minute. Jason Bateman on The Outsider, he's an actor in it, he's a director in it, he's executive producer of it, basically talks about why he and his other producers were attracted to doing the story. Uh, Stephen King and the outsider, two and a half minutes of King price and Ben Mendelsohn talking about King's body of work, uh, adapting the outsider, two and a half minutes, a uh, little over two and a half minutes about adapting it. El Cuco, baby ya- Baba Yaga and the outsider with Stephen King, Cynthia Rivo, and other key cast and crew members talk about uh, basically how bad dream monsters pop up in Stephen King stuff a lot and how they, where, where they're from in history. And then there's a, just under three minute analyzing Holly Gibney piece. Unfortunately, none of this is, I mean, these are just little tiny snippets and this is the type of thing that deserved something much more thorough. Yeah, it, it really, it really deserved a real like feature length making of it really did. I don't think
1: like, it might be the best single um, title that we had in the set. Yeah. I adored this.
0: Well, that is it, man. That's it, baby. That's Keep all over, we did. Man. it. Keep we over. Did, we did two shows full of children being murdered
1: there you go kid death one <laughs> kid death two
0: the redefining the redefining shut up okay i'm not good at improv right now i'm tired <laughs> no i laughed and now you're not the goal <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> what you you are, do you want me to do
1: you are gonna call this kid death and kid death the redefining
0: you, you are terrible at improv, and you're like, hey, why are you laughing? <laughs> why are you laughing? Can't you tell that it's bad and unfunny? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's manic depressive improv night. <laughs> uh, and if you want, I'd be glad to loan you some of the stacks of Stephen King I got sitting at the house right now that I've been... Pot pouring through lately because he's written a lot of great stuff that i'm glad I, i'm i now catching up with
1: well yeah that was the thing i was joking about that uh, with you offline where like we have so many movies with kid death and as you handed me that stack i just started dr sleep the book and yeah. so it's like yeah no i can't escape kid death i have kid death <laughs> everywhere like that's all well, I get it's
0: it It's basically a warning to the universe. Don't you fucking try it. (laughs) I can handle this from any angle. (laughs) Do not fuck with Papa Bear. (laughs) Papa Bear is the totemic Papa Bear, and he will fuck your shit up. I don't care if you're a supernatural doppelganger. I don't care what you are.
1: (laughs) Uh, I am Papa Bear. evil tremble in despair. I come to thee.
0: <laughs> anyway that is it for digital noise thank you for joining me again aaron it is always a pleasure and john, we'll be back I, we'll be back before too much longer with john golson I already got three quarters of a stack for him i'll be heading off to him soon so there's more of that and i know the one thing i know for sure that i can say that we are reviewing on that is a lot of people have been asking me about the horror movie amulet well we got they're, they're sending us just a link to it but it's coming out on Blu-ray, and we're going to be reviewing that on the next show, which I'm actually very excited to see. So, mm-hmm. tune in then, use those links, click on them on our OneOfUs.net page in order to buy these titles from Amazon.com or buy anything from Amazon. As long as you start from one of our links, we get a nice little kickback. Become a subscriber, because God knows we do need subscribers. We can't do this without subscribers. We've got a huge team of people that work on this site and work hard. I mean, it's got, like, I think something like 72 children. works a full <laughs> time job where he's like a boss at it you know he's got like a wife he's like got all this shit going on he's probably writing the great american novel for god's sakes and he still does true, tons actually. of work for this website like you can put in five dollars a month or ten dollars a month you know you can let's see this happen not you aaron yeah i think you actually do that too for i do god's i do I, I oh my I god I
1: also
0: <laughs> he, he literally pays to to work for the site that's like i must be doing something right
1: you know, you 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 show me weird shit. I get to watch, you know, horribly offensive uh, Bob Hope movies because of you, Chris. Because of you,
0: yay. Yeah.